Good evening. It's good to be back with you tonight. <clears throat> we uh, appreciate the opportunity to come. Uh, sorry, let me get everything closed here. My apologies. Um, wonderful to be with you tonight. Thank God for this opportunity. And uh, <clears throat> ask that uh, you uh, specifically and certainly keep those in prayer uh, that are sick. Uh, we got many... Uh, in the church, in the community, and uh, we know that there's a lot of needs, and uh, we ask God's favor in their lives and on their sicknesses, and uh, pray that uh, that God would watch over them and keep them. And uh, <clears throat> know we've got uh, a lot hurting right now, and we uh, uh, tough time, but uh, we're praying, and most of all, we're thankful for uh, God's touch and His healing hand, and we know that He is capable and able. So, but uh, we're going to get into, uh, back into our John study tonight. We'll be in John chapter number five. <clears throat> where we'll pick up, uh, Lord willing, we're going to try and cover uh, the first 27 verses, which I know is a lot of scripture, and we'll try and work our way through that uh, as briefly as we can. <clears throat> but uh, um, we get, uh, hopefully that we'll make uh, John a, a two-parter, and then uh, chapter six is going to going to be long i'm going to go ahead and tell you it may be three maybe four parts but we want to take our time through it nevertheless we will go to the lord in prayer and then we'll read our text and uh get on with the study our father god we thank you lord for this day we thank you for this privilege this honor and this opportunity to assemble uh and study thy precious word we pray father lord that we'd be good stewards over thy word that we would handle it uh cheerfully and uh, cherish it i pray heavenly father lord and we pray, God, that, Lord, you touch our hearts and our minds. God, bless those that would listen and partake. We pray, God, that, Lord, that we would speak words that would be edifying to the church. We pray, uh, Father, for those that are uh, uh, that are sick and that are hurting. We have many in our, in our church family, Lord, and we know that uh, they're stricken with uh, a lot of terrible, uh, wicked sickness and disease. And we pray, God, that thy healing hand and touch of mercy and grace, God, would be upon them. We pray, God, for our brother Alex, Lord, and uh, we're thankful for those, God, that have uh, that have been granted and given healing. And we pray, God, that, Lord, that you continue to watch over and bless and keep, God, uh, those safe in thy stead. We pray most of all, Father, for those that are lost and undone, those that are nearest hell, never received Jesus, precious to their never-dying soul. It's our heart's desire uh, that they find Jesus uh, before this life comes to an abrupt and eternal end. Uh, I hope that they have a Savior. Uh, then when they walk out of this life, God, that they have the blessed assurance, God, that they have a home in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, your kindness, and your goodness. Watch over us now. Keep us and care for us. We thank you and praise you for what you do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter number 5. This will be, <clears throat> we'll start reading in first, uh, verse number one. Like I said, we're going to try and attempt to get through the first 27 verses. I'm just going to go ahead and read those verses so we'll know what we're talking about. And then we'll back up and work our way through these. It says, after uh, this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there uh, is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season in the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then <clears throat> uh, first after the troubling of the water stepped in uh, was made whole of whatsoever disease he was. And a certain 
uh, man was there, which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said to him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man, uh, or impotent man said, uh, answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but I am coming another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Uh, the Jews therefore said unto him that that was cured. Uh, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that by which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he, and he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, and a multitude being in that place. Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art uh, made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus, uh, which is which had made him whole, and therefore the Jews, per, uh, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hither, uh, hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because uh, he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what the Father, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever uh, he doeth, uh, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may, that ye may marvel. For as the uh, Father riseth, uh, uh, raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the, water, for the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men uh, should uh, honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto, unto you, the hour is coming now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so uh, hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute a judgment also, because he is uh, the Son of Man. I know that's a lot of scripture, and I know that there's a lot of people laughing, thinking there's no way in the world that we'll ever get through these 27 verses, but I'm going to try. So, <clears throat> nevertheless, I promise you I can. I just don't know if anybody will listen to me talk about it for three hours. So, uh, but <clears throat> anyway, let's get back into this. And I just want to start in the outstart of this. And I hope that you, and I know that we've kind of been cutting in and out on this. And I, I hope that you're keeping pace with, and we're going through the Gospel of John. There's one prominent feature uh, that, if you'll notice, that has been front and center of the first five uh, chapters. So, uh, like I said, and, and I'm, I'm going to try and keep this brief as a recap, uh, but we see uh, in, in John 1, we see immediately in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. So we see this, uh, and it immediately takes us back to the book of Genesis. Uh, so, but when we, when we immediately arrive back to the book of Genesis, the first thing we see in, in the first chapter is obviously the creation, uh, but the first thing it deals with is water. And this is the prevailing theme that John uh, takes hold of. And so 
the most prevalent thing that we find right here, of course, in the first chapter of, of the book of John is the revelation of the word, uh, the tabernacling among us where he dwelt, where his Shekinah glory fell. We have the, uh, uh, the, the incarnation of the Son of God. But the, the prominent theme that we have right here uh, is, the, is the prophetic statement that John makes mention of over here in, in verse number 29 uh, when the Bible tells us that Jesus, when John the Baptist was down in the river baptizing, the Bible tells us that Jesus came walking upon the banks of the Jordan River and John seeth Jesus coming. And when he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So the first thing that we see right here is we see uh, the parallel that immediately takes every, uh, every person's mind and their thought processes back to the exodus of Israel. Uh, but not only that, we see that the, the Passover lamb is exemplified in the Lord Jesus Christ by what? By water. So we see the prominent theme of water uh, that, is, uh, that is brought to uh, our forefront in John chapter 1. What do we see again in John chapter 2? What does Jesus do? He takes the water and he turns it to wine. In John chapter number three, we tell uh, where Jesus begins to deal with us again. He tells us, he says, you must be born again by water and by spirit. He said, if you're not, then you cannot see the kingdom of God. But those that are born by water and spirit that are born again, they shall receive everlasting and eternal life. In John chapter four, what do we deal with again? We, we deal with in John chapter four, where Jesus passes uh, down into Samaria. He deals with a woman at Jacob's well. Uh, listen, he said, of this water, if you drink of this water, you shall have, uh, it shall uh, well up inside of thee a wellspring unto everlasting and eternal life. So we see this water thing. Then we go on to another Passover, or this is not Passover. Uh, there's a lot of different people say that this was Passover. It wasn't. We're not sure how much time progressed chronologically, so, but nevertheless, we don't think that it is. Uh, but we get to this right here, that Jesus was at another feast, whether this was Feast of the Tabernacles, not sure uh, entirely. We don't know the chronology, like I said. Uh, but we get down to right here, and Jesus has come down. He's come down by the sheep market uh, to the pool. He's come down to Bethesda. Where is he? He's at the water once again. And so we see this theme right here. So we have baptism, we have water to wine, we have the new birth, we have the wellspring of life, we have the pool of Bethesda, uh, which is uh, the, the, the ultimate healing. So we have the lamb, we have uh, that the John the Baptist relates to us in John chapter one. He says, this is the lamb of God. This lamb is going into the water. Uh, listen, and when he came out of the water, there was a rebirth of a nation that we later allude to in John chapter 3. But when Jesus comes out of the water, he is lit upon by the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead. He comes down and resides on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messianic second person in the Trinity, the Son of God, the High King of Heaven. He has now exonerated and lifted and exalted himself to a place of prominence and excellency. And he's put himself on par in, in, in a equality with God for all the world to see. And now we see the presence of the Holy Spirit of God light upon him. We see that he is emboldened with his ministry through the water. And these are all typological things that we're carrying forward from the book of Exodus. I listen that is paramount to our understanding of this. And then we get on over there to John chapter 2. After the baptismal event, we find that what happens, Jesus takes the water. Listen, when, when the guest had been well drunk is what the text says. 
is. I listen, at the end of the wedding supper and the feast, the Bible tells us that Jesus took the water at the beckoning and the bidding of his mother. Uh, listen, uh, and, and he spoke over the water pots of stone, and the Bible tells, he says, now go dip and serve. And listen, there was a declaration, a declaration made that came from them that said, why have you waited to serve the best for last? So we see that Jesus has now taken something that we thought was old and something we, we, we perceive in our minds that is putrid and dirty. But Christ has taken it. He's cleansed it. He's made it utterly pure. And he sent it back out forth and distributed the best thing that he had. And then we get to the third chapter. We have this rebirth uh, picture right here. And listen. I'm going to nerd out on you here for just a few minutes on this. But listen, we see this begotten son in John 3, 16. Uh, and listen, that's the Greek word monogenesis. And when we deal with that word, uh, listen, we, we derive in our English the only begotten, but it's really the, on, the, the, the unique son of God is what it really means. He's the only begotten of the father. We go back up here to this born again language is the Greek word anothen, uh, which means to be born from above. So we see that the unique son of God was born from above. And in being born from above, he says that you must be born through this water, which is the birth of a new nation. Listen, this is the wonderful, uh, listen, salvific event that transpires in a believer's life when they confess the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They are cleansed, made whole, and clean, and stand in His presence, uh, and we are cleansed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, uh, that's how we are a new creature. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse number 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. If we be in Christ, that is the prevailing theme of the New Testament, we must be in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are a new creature. In Ephesians, the Bible tells us that if we are in Christ, then we are predestined in Him. If we are in Christ, then we are in His manifest glory and His presence. If we are in Christ, we are the sons of God. I, friends, and I'm thankful that we can stand in Christ. Amen. Then we get on. Listen, I, I, I told you, I, I promise I, I'm moving forward. 15 minutes is done scorched. When we get through this, we see in, in John 4, he comes down to the well of Samaria, dealing with water once again. He tells the woman, he said, if you'll drink of this water, you'll possess everlasting life. It, it's talking about, it's the rebirth language again. Then we get to John 5 over here, what we're dealing. There's a man, uh, the Bible tells us, now listen, now we need to pay attention to the scene that's presented to us. So Jesus walks up at a festival and a feast and he comes down to uh, the pool of Bethesda. The Bible tells us having five porches. They was, uh, listen, uh, probably an incomprehensible, I, I wouldn't say incomprehensible, but there was a mass crowd of people that were gathered there. Not only was there a mass people of uh, 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 people gathered there to watch what was going on, uh, aside from that, the Bible tells us in verse number three that there was a great multitude of impot uh, uh, impotent folk. They were blind, they were halt, and they were withered. So we had the invalids, the blind, the lame, and the crippled. They were all gathered here at the pool of Bethesda. They're waiting for the stirring, the bubbling, of the water when the angel of the Lord would come down and stir and bubble the water and when the water would begin to churn uh, the first one the Bible says into the pool would be healed 
So we get down here and we see all this is going on. So Jesus walks up in the midst of the water in the pool of Bethesda where the angels, no doubt, listen, this this right here is a heavenly scene if I've ever depicted one. Listen, what what the the temporal eye was viewing is they saw the impotent folk. They seen all these that were the the paralytics and the blind, the halt and the lame, and the people were, listen, you had an amass of people that stood around and as they hovered over and as they viewed uh, everything that was transpired, I, I, I get this when, when we when we roll back our carnal vision and we see where the angels are swirling around the pool of Bethesda. Uh, friends, Jesus sees them, uh, but more so than that, the angels know who they're in the presence of. They're in the presence of the Son of God. Uh, listen, what joy there must have been in the presence of God's angels as God's Son intervened himself in the midst of the scene. And the Bible tells us in verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain time of the season and the pool troubled the water. Whosoever then was first after the troubling of the water, I stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And the Bible says in verse number five, and there, was a, and there was a certain man there which had an infirmity 30 and eight years. Now, it doesn't tell us how old he was, but it does tell us that he was, uh, listen, he had an infirmity. We don't know what his infirmity was. Obviously, he was a paralytic. He couldn't walk. Uh, but we find here for, uh, that whatever this was had ailed him for 38 years, whether that was his entire life or, or, or something happened to him at a point in time of his life. We're not sure, but we know that this man was here. And I want, I want everybody to see this. The Bible says in verse number six, when Jesus saw him lie uh, and knew that he had been now a, a long time in that case, he said unto him, will thou me be made whole? Friends, listen to me. I, I, I want to say this because uh, this right here is a picture of hopeless hope. Amen. This man for 38 years, I, I, I feel convinced of this, for 38 years, he had somebody somehow, somewhere carry him down to the pool of Bethesda. He had hope that maybe he would be the first one sometime into the water. As we'll later allude to right here, this man finally tells Jesus, he said, there's nobody to even help me into the water. But listen, when we find ourselves in a state of hopeless hope, and friends, listen, I don't want the church to find ourselves in this rigorous, rhetorical, circular attitude where we're going to church to find hope, but there's hopelessness in us being there. Friends, listen, because when I look around and I see the churches and I talk to pastors and I talk to preachers, and listen, we see the hopelessness, but yet we go there for hope. But listen, when we get there, we feel a state of, of hopelessness, like nothing is ever going to get better, that there's nothing that's, that will help. And friends, listen, we, we need to go down there. And listen, we need to meet Jesus at a place where we not only exert hope, but we exercise our faith in what he has the ability to do in every individual singular person's life. Let's don't be found in the state of hopeless hope. But the Bible says in verse 7, The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another step of down before me, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And I've preached on this several times over the years. And listen, I, we need to understand this. 
Uh, there is a lot of systematics that we have laid in our minds. There's a lot of things that we think must be in this order. Uh, and if they're not done in this order, then they're just not right. But these are all human man-made constructs. And Jesus, uh, listen, he challenges another one right here again. The Bible tells us he comes down there and he said, listen, uh, the angels have come. They stirred the water. And listen, there is no possible way. There's nobody even help me in. I am, I am locked in hopeless hope, and I'm glad in the midst of our hopelessness and our uh, most abysmal and abominable state uh, circumstances and conditions that, listen, when we are at our most hopeless state, we can have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that the impotent man looked to Christ, and he said, rise, take up thy bed, uh, and walk. And friends, listen. I'm going to say this. Charles Spurgeon said this uh, when we get into this right here. When, when there was a man, they were, listen, this man, he'd come in hopeless hope, and he was waiting. What was he waiting on? Charles, Haddon, uh, Charles uh, Spurgeon said this, that he uh, listened that they were uh, waiting on a convenient season. They're waiting on dreams and visions, waiting to be compelled, waiting for revival, or waiting for a feeling. Uh, friends, listen, I I'm telling you something. Oftentimes we find ourselves in this rigorous cycle of waiting on God. What are we waiting for? But listen, the Bible teaches us to seek, to ask, to knock. The, listen, these are all active, progressive verbs. We should run after the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't find yourself stuck in a, in a state of hopeless hope. Amen. Run after the Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfully, Christ showed up in the midst of the sin, uh, scene and he tells this impotent man, he said, listen, rise up, take thy bed and walk. And the Bible says in verse nine, immediately the man was made whole. He took up his bed and he walked and on the same day was the Sabbath. Now, listen, we get into this Sabbath language right here, the Sabbath day. We're fixing to get in <clears throat> to some different things. But we get into this right here and we, and we understand Jesus walked up in the midst of them on, on, the, on the day that he shouldn't have been there. Uh, not only on the day that he shouldn't have been there, but he walks up in the midst of them, in the midst of not only one, but many, many people that were caught in hopeless hope. And they're laying there in a state of despair. Whatever their infirmities are, no, no doubt that they are serious and that, that, that they find themselves in a state where they, they have come to the last straw. Friends, listen, I, I believe, especially in this, in this modern time in Western, uh, Westernized Christianity in America, thank God for the country that we live in. Thank God for our armed forces. Uh, listen, uh, our military, our police, all those that serve and protect and given their lives. I uh, Listen, uh, over all these multitudes of times, but we're thankful that we live in this. But, but because of that, the state and current condition that we find ourselves in in the modern church is we are often blinded by our blessings. We are so blessed. Uh, listen, that uh, that, that we, we, we forget that we must run and seek after the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us and it reiterates to us time and time again, we must run to him. But now, friends, listen to me. Uh, we see that this is the overarching picture of the text. When Jesus seeks, when Jesus searches out, he is the seeker. He is the initiator. He is always the initiator. He has sought us from the beginning of creation. 
We don't initiate anything. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter number four, not that we love God, but that he first loved, uh, loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, listen, we must understand that he is the initiator. He is the seeker. He is the one yearning, longing. And listen, not only is he the initiator, he is also the finality of all things. When he declared on the cross of Calvary, it is finished. He didn't mean that there was more to do. Amen. It is done. So we come to a place right here. Jesus comes, and, and listen, in the midst of everything that had never been seen or understood, Jesus tells this impotent man that was most assuredly a paralytic, he couldn't walk. He said, rise up, take thy bed, and walk. Immediately the man was made whole. He took up his bed, and he walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. And friends, listen, this is an exercise in faith. And friends, listen, we, uh, we have done uh, uh, a disservice to the definition of the term faith, and, and we've tried our best to preach on it, uh, uh, listen, for over the last month or so. But friends, listen, when, when, we, when we think of faith, uh, we see the, the Hebrews 11 definition. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Uh, but friends, listen, most, most often that we put our faith in something that is meaningless or hopeless or has no substance and it has no evidence. And a lot of times we, uh, you know, when we're looking at the picture of our country, we say, well, we must have faith or, or we put our faith in the God. Listen, we don't put our faith. The Bible tells us the things which are seen are temporal and the things which are unseen are eternal. So we build off of that, and Jesus tells us, he said, Lay all up treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. I listen, but he said, lay, lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and where thieves cannot break through. Uh, friends and steal. Uh, so friends, we, we come to a place right here where we must understand that what faith is, and what faith is not, because a lot of times people they they contrast faith as it's believing in nothing and it has no substance and it has no evidence. But faith in its utter essence and core is a believing loyalty and standing in allegiance with the King. Uh, listen, faith. Uh, we're not saved on the amount of faith that we have. We talked about this on Sunday in John 15. We'll, we'll teach about it again in coming weeks about the vine analogy in John 15. When we abide in the Lord, when we abide in the vine, abiding in Christ, that, that's an, abiding is an exercise of faith. Uh, faith is abiding. What does it take? Uh, when we abide in the vine and abide in Christ, we are yielding to him. He is sustaining and supplying everything that we need, but we must yield to him. That is believing and standing in allegiance with and to him. It's not about how we perform. It's not about our perfection. It's not about the things that we do and our multiple works of righteousness and how we preach and how we pray and how we sing. Those are all wonderful attributes and they should be done fervently and with passion. But those, uh, listen, uh, those are uh, the overwhelming propensity of those things is not what makes us better. Friends, listen, he will never be good enough 
to be saved. We'll never have enough, friends. And that's why the Bible tells us, and I say this often in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He loved us in our sinful, most abominable, wretched, defiled state. And because he loved us in that state, we'll never do anything to make him love us more. But we simply stand in allegiance to him, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, who has reclaimed all things of the entire cosmos. And we stand under his atoning umbrella of grace, mercy, and a flood of love. And we stand under his atoning arms and we are bathed and embellished in his grace and his mercy and his love. And he overshadows us and our allegiance grows. And as our allegiance grows and our abiding, the branch begins to strengthen and it yields fruit. And, and thankfully, friends, listen, that's why we can stand in allegiance with the Christ. It's not about how much stuff that we do. It's about what we bear. And it was uh, brought out to me so beautifully last week, and I will say this, the fruit that we bear is not for us. The fruit that we bear is for others. And friends, listen, we need to make sure that we are fruit bearers, not for ourselves, not for ourselves. If we're trying to bear for ourselves, we're bearing for the wrong intentions. It must be born for others. So listen, we've got to have this act and exercise of faith. Okay, so now we get... Uh, we we kind of cut off right here and we kind of trans, uh, transition into where Jesus starts to deal with Jews about the Sabbath and then we have some other topics uh, that begin to come up right here. But the Bible says, the Jews therefore said unto, uh, said unto him uh, that was cursed, it is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, he that hath made me whole the same said to me, take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they, uh, they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk in it? Uh, and he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had, co uh, had conveyed uh, himself away. So Jesus, he, he'd slipped out of the scene. He'd slipped off. He'd slipped away. This man's up. He's, arrived. he's got his bed tucked under his arm. Uh, <clears throat> listen, uh, which is uh, against the uh, rabbinical Jewish second temple period laws. So they had all these laws. There was, I believe there's 38 amendments to the law of what you could and could not do on the Sabbath day. Uh, and carrying your bed was against the law. So we find here uh, where this man, he, he comes up, he's carrying his bed. Uh, listen, this paralytic man, I, I can see his frail, skinny legs, which had, had no muscle mass because he hadn't walked. And listen, we see these old pencil legs walking around, man holding, uh, uh, listen, a rolled up mat under his arm that he'd come and laying by the pool. Uh, listen, and the, and the Jews come up to him and said, who told you to do this? And this man said, I don't know who it was. Looked around, Jesus had slipped off, and the Bible says in verse number 14, Jesus had come back around. 
So listen, Jesus had healed him. He slipped off uh, to miss the occasion with the Jews. He comes back around to find the man. He slips in behind him. He says, that's where Jesus findeth him. And the temple saith unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Send the more, lest the worst thing come upon thee. Uh, friends, listen, I will say this. Uh, when we deal with this right here, uh, there's a lot of people, that, they like to take this verse and they say, well, uh, what Jesus is implying here is that this man was a paralytic because of his sin, and that's not the case with the text. What he's telling him right here, he said, Behold, thou art made whole, period. He said, Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon thee. So what he's contrasting is that uh, a sinful, rebellious, unrepentant heart that has never been saved uh, Francis, and he said, sin no more lest a worse thing come upon. What's he talking about? He's talking about eternal separation. He's talking about temporal sickness and, uh, and, uh, and being paralyzed and blind and lame. He's talking about the eternal consequence for rejecting the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus. Which, is, which had made him whole. And therefore the Jews uh, did persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because uh, he had done these things uh, on the Sabbath day. So listen, there was an overreach, no question. There was an overreach and a misapplication, a misinterpretation of the text. And they were enforcing so much legalism upon the people that Jesus, the high king of heaven, the son of God, performed a miracle in the midst of these people that that presumably uh, believed in the Messiah that was to come. So they said, they believed in the law of Moses, they believed in the covenants, and so they should have been looking for the Son of God, yet they rejected the Son of God. They were so hung up, so caught up in their legalism that they couldn't even see the Son of God. And friends, today, listen, I want to say this. I hope that our modern day churches have not overexerted our righteousness to a point that we have overcorrected to the point uh, friends, listen, that we only see through our legalism and we miss Jesus. Amen. Boy, I'm telling you, uh, listen, I've seen this multiple times. I've seen, I, I've seen the Spirit of God moving and working in a service and something didn't go like somebody thought that it should go and I've seen it cut off like a water faucet uh, because, uh, listen, because of the acts of legalism that flood the memories, the thoughts, the intentions, and the actions of all the people. Listen, whether or not we realize it, it exists. We carry these presuppositions with us into the church house of what's right and what's wrong. Uh, friends, listen, instead of yielding to the Spirit and seeing where the Spirit of God, listen, I want to say this, what should lead us, what should guide us is the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Amen. If it's not in the Word of God, then we shouldn't exercise and practice it. That's why we have the epistles of the New Testament because they give us guidance and leadership of an, uh, an understanding of how we should carry out New Testament worship. That's why we have these things. And, and, and listen, I, I don't want to come off as saying that, uh, because I, I believe a lot of times this is misinterpreted from what I'm saying. Friends, listen, uh, I'm not saying that throw everything that used to be away. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, because I, I want to say this, I believe that a lot of the people that instituted some of the things that we, that we may perceive that they, uh, that they are, I, I can tell you this right now, a hundred years from now, when I'm dead and gone, there's a lot of people who tell you, the words that I've said, if the Lord ain't come back, there's a lot of people who will take the words that I've said, they will miscommunicate them, and they will use them to their advantage, 
uh, to manipulate somebody uh, to believe the way that they think that I believe and they haven't even talked to me. I promise you that's going to happen. Because listen, we, we see this over and over and over and over again in the text. We see this over and over and over again in history. Uh, listen, there are certain people in history that have taken that have taken certain and specific theological positions to find an argument of their day and of their time. And now, do we do do we agree with exactly and specifically where they stand today? No, we don't, because we don't live in in the time and don't have to fight the fight that they were fighting. But friends, listen, if we just stay doctrinally pure, stay focused on the Spirit of God and in the Word of God, not what we think the Word of God says, but what the Word of God does say. So the Bible says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, Behold, uh, Thou art whole, sin no more, lest the worst thing. Come point the man departed, told the Jews it was Jesus, and made him whole. And therefore the Jews persecuted Jesus, sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. We uh, have overemphasized the point of legalism and, and, and where it leads to and, and what it is. Verse 17, Jesus, uh, but Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. So Jesus says, Look, I'm not limited by your interpretation. Of the law. And not only was this, this was a claim to deity. Amen. This is a, an exclamation point that I am the Son of God. I am the begotten. I am the unique, special, eschatological agent of, uh, listen, embodied in the Spirit of God here to do the work of my Father to reclaim, to redeem, to ransom all things that have been yielded and lost and surrendered. I am he. Amen. Uh, listen, when Moses asked the question, he said, God, who should I tell him has sent me? He said, you go tell him I am. Amen. Uh, friends today, listen, I'm glad this is, this is a declaration of the Son of God. He said, I am, and I'm here to do the work of my Father. Therefore, the Jews sought uh, the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, so they were mad at him for breaking the Sabbath, number one, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So we find this right here. They, they draw heated contention from this right here. They say, listen, this man has made himself equal with God. He is a blasphemer. And so we get into this. And listen, I'm gonna try. I'm, I, I'm pretty proud of myself. I've done pretty good. Verse number nineteen. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son of Man, the Son, I can do nothing of Himself, but what He seeth the Father do. For what things soever He doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Friends, listen to me. Uh, we see Jesus, he's coming in here. Now listen, there's a lot of people, they, they have, a, I'm not going to say a, a wrong representation or a misinterpretation of the Trinity because the Trinity is something that, it, that it, it is hard uh, for this intellectual mind here, this side of heaven. It's, it is hard for us to wrap our heads around. They are individual persons of one essence. They're one God. They, they, are, they are not broken or separate. They are one functioning essence and entity, and they manifest themselves. Uh, listen, 
as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yes, they have different operations, but they are harmonious and they never contradict. They are never uh, adversarial. And friends, listen, they're working in constant and beautiful harmony. It's like a three-orb dimension that we, uh, within our minds and in our intellect, we can't perceive. But we see here that God the Son, now he's coming down and he says, listen, I don't do anything but what the Father tells me to do. He said in verse number 20, for the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things uh, that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. So now we see where Jesus, and listen, this is very important. You, you need to make sure that you, that you hang on uh, to this conversation right here because uh, this, uh, this conversation right here bleeds on over into chapter number six at a later time. This same sect and people of, uh, of the Jews that, that are out to harm him. Jesus is dealing with the same people over and over and over again. There's constant rejection of the Son of God, but he's dealing with them. He said, now listen, the Father loves the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these uh, that ye may marvel. And see, we see right here, <coughs> we see this Trinitarian aspect. This is the incarnation uh, what is the, the incarnation? This is the Emmanuel. This is God with us. God with us manifests in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the unique Son of God that was born from above. Uh, listen, as the Holy Spirit, the third person, uh, sowed and conceived in the womb of Mary, the Son of God. And we find right here where Jesus is bringing all these things, the harmonious uh, listen, and there, it's unparalleled and unequaled. He said the Father, he loves the Son, and he showeth him all things. Friends, listen, uh, Christ himself he, he is omniscient, that he knows all things that are knowable because, listen, he has the mind of God. Why? Because it, it, it's this Trinitarian aspect, the essence of all one, that, that, the, 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 the interlocutor that they have. And so the Bible says he showeth all showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. This is important as we're moving forward. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. I'd encourage you to go read First Corinthians chapter number 15. Listen, this, this is your own study time. I'm, I'm going to try and keep this a little bit shorter so people will listen. I think I've done pretty good. I, uh, maybe under 50 minutes, 27 verses, be a record for me. So the Bible says that all men should honor the Son. Verse 23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. So, friends, listen, he's dealing specifically and harshly and pointedly with the Jews right here. He said, listen, you say that you love the prophets. You say that you love, uh, listen, Moses, you say that you love my father, but you are not, you don't love my father because you don't love me. He tells them in chapter six over here, he says, listen, he said, you love Moses. You love the writings of Moses. And he said, Moses wrote of me, but you will not have me. 
So he tells him right here, he said, listen, the, son, the, son, the father loves the son and he honoreth the son. Uh, listen, and we should honor the son because in honoring the son, we honor the father that has sent him. He said, verily, verily, or truly, truly, listen. He said, listen, I, I'm telling you, in verse 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he said, listen, I, listen I'm, I, I'm saying to you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto the unto life. Now listen, we see this. See, this is harmonious language. He said, I, I and the Father are one. John 10, he tells us this. This is the reverberating. Uh, as we go through the Johannine text right here, we see where, uh, listen, we see God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're working harmoniously. They're never in, in contradiction. They're never uh, opposed to one another. They're working in perfect functioning harmony. And, and we go through here and he said, now listen, if you believe on him that sent me, then you believe on me. And he has everlasting life and he shall, cannot, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the, uh, listen, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so, uh, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. This is the title. I, where, where do we get this Son of Man uh, uh, language from? He is the second Adam in the Hebrew, the Adam. Okay? So it, it, it's not Adam proper as in a person. It's Adam, which is humanity. So when he created Adam, which was humanity... It wasn't Adam's name proper, yet we call him Adam. Yet he was the father of all humanity. And Jesus said, I am the second Adam. I am the second humanity. Why? Because now we tie all this together. I am the second Adam. Why is he the second Adam? Because he is born from above. He is the unique son born from above. I listen, he said, I am the Father one. I, the Spirit of God is re resting, residing in him. He said, if you believe in me, you shall have eternal and everlasting life. What a beautiful bundle and picture is. We begin to pull all this stuff together. And he's dealing, and there's so many wonderful, beautiful biblical concepts. And, and friends, listen, I, I, I want the church to, uh, to grasp and understand these things. I, I want them to yearn and long for these things. I want you to study these things for yourselves. Uh, friends, listen, there's no, the people that know me, that truly, really know me, know that there's probably nothing in this world I love to do better than study the Word of God, preach the Word of God, teach the Word of God. This, this is my happy place. I, I love being right here. I love serving my King. I love the Word of God. And, and friends, listen, I want the Word to understand that we have a heavenly father we have a messiah a savior who loves us friends listen the people that reject the son of god and spend an eternal uh, life in, in in hell and an utter obliv uh, uh, oblivion and an and absence from our from god our father what an awful torment 
And what an unfortunate circumstance. You don't have to go there. You, all you have to do is choose Christ. Choose Christ and live. So I'm going to leave you with this because we're going to talk about the resurrection uh, as we get in, uh, into verse number 28 next week, as we tie that up, and we may get into a little bit of chapter number 6, but leave you with verse number 25. Very, very, I say unto thee, the hour is coming now is when the dead shall hear uh, the voice of the Son of God, and they uh, that hear shall live. Friends, listen, I, I'm glad uh, that the Spirit of God, that it works, that it maneuvers, and that it manifests itself today. I, I, I'm thankful for our preacher brothers. I'm thankful for our church members. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not putting one person above another. I thank God for every single one of us. There is a capacity. Uh, there is there is a work and a service for every one of us in God's kingdom. He is the head and we are the body. We need to find our place within the body. We need to serve him faithfully. Uh, listen, and, and, and grow and bear fruit, not for us, but for others around us that we can bring people into the kingdom of God. This is what we do this for. It's not for ourselves. It's not for popularity or prominence. It's not for hot pomp. It's, uh, listen, it's not for anything that are or the accolades that we can bring to ourselves. It's all that we, listen, we do this, that we decrease, that he might increase. We want to bring all glory to our Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you uh, so very much for listening in tonight. We, we appreciate each and every one of you. We pray uh, uh, once again for all those that are sick. Specifically, we mention Alex by name again. Uh, we love him. We're praying for him. Uh, many in his family, Pete, I believe he's on the men recovery. Uh, we've had many in our church that have been, uh, listen, uh, uh, deathly sick. And, and we're thanking God for God's healing, masterful hand and his touch. But we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining in and being with us tonight. Good Lord willing, uh, we'll be at the Lord's house on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Remember that. Brother Cody Riley will be preaching Sunday morning. Um, and we're looking forward to that. Love, love the man of God. We love each and every one of you. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your week.